This fabric can be anything. It doesn't fit in a box. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. One recent Friday morning, my friend Nina and I headed to Harmony Hall Regional Center in Prince George's County, off on one of our monthly explorations now that we both have some free time and flexibility. I treasure these adventures both for the friendship they help sustain, but also for the sheer joy of discovery. Nina and I are both now in our early 60s, and we've made a point of seeking out novelty, places, things, art, whatever that we've not seen before. Besides being a perfectly splendid way to spend a day, there's pretty solid research to back us up on making this our priority. Initial evidence suggests that novelty and curiosity are protective factors in older age and can potentially lead to better health aging behaviors. They play an important role in maintaining cognitive function, mental health, or physical health for older adults. Links to that research are on my website. So on the particular Friday in question, we were in pursuit of a quilt show. But as we walked into Harmony Hall, we were not so much in the presence of quilts in a multi-purpose county facility as transported to a visual playground. We'd come to see the work of quilter Andy Collins, a self-described Grandma Moses of fiber art. And we were not disappointed. Andy plays with color, pattern, and texture in ways that were exciting and fresh. Her work is bold, beautiful, full of intention and experimentation. As she explains it, she creates one-of-a-kind original fabric mosaics and collages, bringing to her work a uniquely biracial African-American worldview. She uses African and other ancestral ethnic fabrics mixed with Western textiles as well as her own hand-dyed fabrics, to show the interrelationship of these two worlds, one referential to the other. I stood in front of one piece called Great Cloud of Witnesses for a long time as its nuance and technique gradually revealed themselves. She had created literal and metaphoric depth. She'd used photo transfer and some beautifully hand-dyed and very cleverly overstitched cheesecloth the image was somehow both brooding and uplifting. I was mesmerized, and I thought, this is curiosity at work and at play, and I knew I wanted to invite Andy to join me for a conversation. So welcome, Andy Collins. It's a pleasure to have you join me. Well, thank you, and thank you for that wonderful, very flattering introduction. Thank you very much. Well, congratulations on the show. It really was, is a wonderful collection of of work. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I do this because I love it, clearly, and I do what I love. So I don't do things that, you know, people say I ought to do or should do. Uh-huh. If it doesn't seize my imagination, I don't bother. And so when other people can meet me there and join me and enjoy it and get into the quilts, that's, that's just joy for me. Yeah. I think you clearly succeed in, in creating that, that opportunity for people. Let's put it that way. So what did you think when I asked you to talk about curiosity 
and your textile art? Well, you know, it's interesting because I am a curious person and I've always been and I was raised that way. My parents were not highly educated, but they valued education. We had a set of encyclopedias in our home in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. Uh-huh. Actually, we had two. We had Britannica and World Book. And we actually read them. You know? <laughs> oh, me too. That was a thing. That was a thing. I did yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I'd sit down and read the encyclopedia. Oh, let's look that up. Yep. It, and we had this huge Webster's Dictionary, and I would actually read the dictionary. So it was something that we were encouraged to do. I'm also the youngest of nine children. And oh, wow. We, we were our parents' labor force. So. Mm-hmm. To make jobs go easier, we would invent games or we would, our favorite was somebody start a story and another person would be the buzzer. And at some random point, they go beep (laughs) and the next and point to someone and you had to pick up the story until the next beep. And so that was one of our ways to make the time go. But it encouraged that imagination and curiosity and, you know, just play, you know, letting your mind play. And so that's sort of where it all started for me is just being surrounded by that. So uh, an investigation of curiosity uh, is not unnatural to me. Yeah. I think that's clear too in your work. So then you had this, impressive professional other career, first life. And now you're, now you're launched on what you call your second life. And you had a pretty monumental year kind of in between. You wrote about it on your, on your website that, you know, everything is different. Everything feels new and that you're determined to bring all the beauty you can find into the world. And I wanted to invite you to tell us a little bit more about that because that feels big. Yes. Well, it was big. So you're right. I had another career. I was a corporate headhunter and I was extremely good at my job and I had some notoriety. We'll we'll put it that way. The name meant something. (laughs) Yeah. I knew your name in other ways before. (laughs) Okay. Yes. And, And being from Arlington, I also was very involved in the Arlington community I chaired a, a nonprofit there that built affordable housing. So, yeah, I, I did lots of stuff. And I had no intention of ever retiring. And then I got cancer. And interesting, I got my diagnosis of cancer. This is a long story. You'll have to edit this. I got my diagnosis of cancer one month after becoming engaged to my husband. <sighs> And, you know, I said to him, are you sure you want to go through this? He was already a widower. And I was like, I don't want to drag you through that a second time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very steadfast and said, nope, that that was my rehearsal to be prepared for this. I can help you through this. So I got the cancer and I got treatment. And part of the treatment was chemo. And one of the side effects of chemo is brain fog. And I was not prepared for that. I had days where I could barely remember my name. I do remember now driving to the office one day and getting to my turn on the highway and being completely lost. 
did not know where I was for, I don't know, five seconds, uh, which is kind of a long time. A long time. To be in a car and not know where you are. A really long time, right. And I was, um, you know, forgetting names and calling people by the wrong. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't be the expert who comes in to tell you how to do something. And I can't even remember your name. So it forced me to retire. And my husband was very happy about this because he'd said to me before, when are you going to retire? And I said, I don't know, maybe never. Um, (laughs) Because I'm the kind of person who needs something to do all the time. Uh So anyway, I went through the chemo and came through the brain fog and came through radiation. And that was just about the time COVID started. And so I decided I'm, I've always wanted to quilt and I've done one or two here or there, but I never really had the time for it. And I, this is it. I'm going to do it. And I started. So that was it. At, I guess I was 69 at that point. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And I didn't start showing for another couple of years. So it's only been about the last uh, year and a half that I've been showing. And um, this is where we are now. Wow. Way to come out of the gate. Let me say, (laughs) holy mackerel. So you started out with more traditional quilts, right? But then you, you made a pretty quick transition from that, right? It was a very quick transition. I have a lot of admiration for people who do traditional quilting. Many of those quilters are just excellent at piecing and getting those little blocks all lined up and getting all their stitches perfect. And that is just not me. I just, I need free flow. So my original intention was to do traditional quilts using the non-traditional fabrics whether they were African fabrics, but I also, I use suede and leather and lace and tool and, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's quite the mashup. It's really wonderful. And uh, so I wanted to use non-traditional things to make traditional quilts because that was the only quilting I knew. And so I did a couple and I went, I'm not doing this again. (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided to just play and start experimenting. And, you know, I would try different techniques and make up my own techniques. And, you know, I just, whatever came into my head. So, yeah, just kind of expanding, as you said, out of curiosity. Fabrics have always fascinated me. Um, The idea that someone can design fabrics fascinates me. And so I think of what I do as painting with fabric. Mm. Um, I have images in my head where I will look at a picture and I see it as a quilt. I see it as fabric pieces. And so that's what I do. And I love, I love what you talk about in terms of using kind of non-traditional materials, non-traditional types of prints, and this mashup yes. of, of art forms and cultures and doing what you described, I think this is actually really lovely language in terms of blending and normalizing, which seemed yes. to me to invite curiosity. Was that your intent? Absolutely my intent. 
typically when one sees something in an African fabric, either wax print or mud cloth or kente, it's very Africanized. You know, this Mm -hmm. is it. This is Mother Africa. Here's the garment or, you know, whatever it is. And I didn't want to do that. Again, maybe because of my own background and this idea of always having to, you know, play with this boundary between the two cultures and the two races and and then growing up and watching these two cultures really start to wrap around each other. And so what I wanted to do was to intentionally use these fabrics in ways that you know, uh, one of the ones that perhaps you did not see at that show, I think it was sold by then, it, it was a big butterfly. And it was done mostly just to be able to say, you know what, this fabric can be anything. It doesn't fit in a box. And then I discovered the Aboriginal uh, cottons and those ancestral patterns. And I was like, yeah, let me use all of this. And so, yeah, intentionally weaving these things together so that when you look at something, you're looking at a whole image and then you can dissect the parts and go, oh, that came from this and that came from that. And I do the same thing by blending in a lot of recycled and reused material the same way. Uh, I want it to all be blended in because that's how the world is. You know, we're all sort of It's a mashup. (laughs) I just want to celebrate the mashup. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, sort of speaking of that, last year, PG County featured a virtual exhibition of your work for, for Juneteenth. Yes. And I'll put a link to it on my website. And you don't really speak about it specifically in the video, but I thought linking your art to the commemoration of Juneteenth was especially powerful. And, you know, I, I kept thinking of Barack Obama's, you know, how he beautifully put it about the day never having been a celebration of victory or an acceptance of the way things are, but a a celebration of progress and an affirmation that despite the most painful parts of our history, change is possible and there is still so much work to do. Can you talk about the connections that you felt and why I'm assuming it felt important to be featured um, for the day. And I, I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. It, it, it was quite an honor. Yeah. So I talk a lot about being biracial, but it, it, as you talked about Obama, um, one of the things that any biracial individual will tell you is the world treats you first as that other part so you identify as black more than you identify as biracial. I have a lot of friends who are Asian my uh, mix, and they're identified first as being Asian. And then, oh, yeah, what's that other thing? And, and so early in life, I learned that I didn't quite fit any particular little category, little box. I mean, it was very clear to me growing up that I wasn't quite black, but I wasn't white, you know, and I don't know, what am I? And having to solve that riddle for myself. And 
increasingly, as I grew older, beginning to really identify with my Black experience, which was very all-consuming. In my neighborhood, growing up in high school, then in college, because I'm in college in the early 70s. And so being steeped in that and then saying, now, how do I take this and make something else out of this? How do I move this forward? And how do I invite other people into it? Because my objective is to break down the barriers and break down the walls and make this accessible and bring it to an audience that might not otherwise see it. Because let's be frank, most white people aren't going to walk into a fabric store to buy African print. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. So how do you understand this is part of your culture too. How do you, again, normalize this in your own mind and say, this is part of the entire landscape. So the idea of bringing these fabrics into something that could be more mainstream was important to me. And so using it in the Juneteenth celebration was, like I said, it's just an honor to me to say, here's my heritage, and this is how I'm going to celebrate my heritage, and this is what this means to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also just, first I have to say, I was in a fabric store recently because I was going to make a baby quilt for mm-hmm. Nina's coming grandbaby, as it happens. Yes. And I looked really, I have to tell you, I looked long and hard at some of the Aboriginal and African prints, which were beautiful. But I kind of, I sat in this place where a lot of white people sit of, is this appropriation? Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up not buying them. Um, and I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, I want to go back and actually buy some and put them into this quilt. I feel like that's the tribute that needs to go into this quilt. Yeah. yeah. I Well, you know, I think you're Wanting to make it a tribute is what keeps it from being appropriation. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, thank you for that. I think we're allowed to honor other people's cultures. You know, I mean, it's not a denigration. Um, You know, if you bought that fabric, made yourself a dashiki and decided to put your hair in dreads, then maybe I'd say, yeah, I think that's Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but if you take it and you honor it uh, and honor its intention, then I'm certainly not offended by that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nice. Nice. So one of the things that I love about your work is I think that obviously for you, it's a journey of curiosity, but I think you're also creating these opportunities for a journey of curiosity for the people who see your work. Yes, that's the intention. Yeah. Yeah. So I I harvest what I call curiosity practices, things that we do that become our, our rituals, our practices, our habits. And in this particular case, that, that bring curiosity and or cultivate curiosity or strengthen curiosity. Do you think of yourself as having curiosity practices? I've never thought about it as a practice, but like you, I seek out new experiences constantly. I go into a restaurant and I'm the person who order the thing I've never had. 
<laughs> because I've never had it. Right. right. That's reason enough right there. That's reason enough. I was sitting at a restaurant one day and there was um, elk on the menu and I was with my best friend. And so, of course, I ordered the elk. I, this is years ago. I don't even eat red meat anymore. I ordered the elk and, and my best friend cracks up and she said, I knew the minute I saw that <laughs> you were going to... It was delicious, by the way. (laughs) So, yes, I've always done that. I've always been attracted by what was different. And maybe it's because I always thought I was different. So I always wanted to find other people, things, experiences um, that are different when I travel. I like to stay in local bed and breakfast, local hotel. I mean, when I travel internationally, I don't want to go stay in a tourist resort. Yeah. I, you know, I'm happy to go sightseeing, but I really want to go to that little local restaurant. I'm going to go see how people live in this place. I want to experience the place and the people. I don't want to go on a tour. And so, if you can think of those as curiosity practices, then yeah, that's kind of the. That's the yeah, I think I, I think like. that counts. I definitely uh, think that yeah, counts. And that was the draw of my career, my professional career, because every time I did a new search, it was for a different company, and that meant I had to learn not only the job they wanted to fill and what was important about that. But I had to know about their culture and where they were in the pecking order of their industry and, you know, how people regarded them. And then I needed to know who are the people this person's going to work with and what are their personalities like. And every new search was a new education. It was a whole new immersion into something else. And so that's why I thought I'd never retire because I was always you know, interested in the, what, what about you? What about you? You know, you know, I'm going to ask you to do my big jar. I want to be analogies in a moment, but I actually see an analogy or a metaphor in that, you know, kind of professionally you were, you were building a quilt, right? You were looking at these different fabrics and wanting to put them together in a way that was going to work. Yeah. 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 What makes sense where? Right. Right. Okay. So now I do want to have you do my big jar of wannabe analogies. So it is literally a big jar and I have slips of paper in here. I'm going to take out one for you, one for me, and one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. Yours is traffic jam. How is curiosity like a traffic jam? Mine is muffin. And then I have one for the audience as well. So would you want to go or you want me to go first? I'll go. So curiosity is like a traffic jam because when you're stuck in it, when you're in the middle of it, you need to just relax. (laughs) You can't get out any sooner than you're going to get out. You might as well just take in the experience. I love the reframe of traffic jams as like curiosity. That That's going to solve a whole lot of summer commutes for me. <laughs> so mine is um, muffin. 
How is curiosity like a muffin? I think, you know, like a muffin, curiosity, you kind of cook it a little bit and it bakes. And when that happens, it kind of overflows the original cup that it was in. And that that, to me, is the best part of a muffin is that overflow. And that, and that's true for curiosity as well. That kind of, when it gets outside its bounds and it takes you someplace you didn't expect or whatever, that's when it's most delicious. Yes. So that's to me how curiosity is like a muffin. And audience, yours is chopsticks. How is curiosity like chopsticks? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Andy, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for your work. Thank you for saying yes to the invitation. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I do have another solo show coming next year at the Torpedo Factory in 2023. And uh, hopefully there'll be some new stuff to see. In fact, not hopefully. I I am only allowed to have 20% of that exhibition as something that's been seen before. So 80% has to be new stuff. Uh, Novelty for the win right there. Very cool. Thank you. This is a wonderful opportunity. I've enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed meeting you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. You can find us online at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Call it Choose to be Curious. And on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your chopsticks analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Andy Collins. Links to her work, including the Juneteenth virtual exhibit on my website, where you'll also find links to the research on the benefits of cultivating curiosity as we age. Just saying. Hugs to Nina Janipal for suggesting the adventure that brought me to Andy. And finally, thanks to Sean Ballack for our theme music. This is Patched In by Studio J via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.